awesome. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Timothy. And uh, for all those who have been sharing, uh, we're, we're thankful and, and blessed to hear uh, the good work that God is doing. And as we uh, heard from them a couple weeks ago, as they uh, testified to their uh, need for Christ and their need for community, uh, may we as a church, uh, as we have pledged to do so, continue to uh, keep them in, in prayer that they might uh, continue walking the life that the Lord has called them to. One of the uh, questions I get asked often, um, one of the kind of, it's a, I guess it's a spiritual question in a sense, a uh, little practical conundrum that people face sometimes. They say, hey, how can I grow? I want to grow in my relationship with God. And typically, uh, the answer is uh, usually about 85% of the time is pretty simple. Uh, I'll ask them, hey, uh, how, what are you doing in order to grow in your relationship with God? What are the disciplines that you are engaging in in order that you might grow, right? Because you can't be a disciple without discipline. And there's a lot of people who want the things that God has for them, but they aren't willing to put in the time in order to get to that place to be the person that God wants them to be. So when it comes to spiritual growth, they want a lot. I want the power of the resurrection in my life. I want the Christ-like character in my life. I want the love and the peace and the comfort that God promises to me. I want all those things, and I want to be able to have my prayers answered, but God's not pulling through for me. Hey, a simple thought here, that if we want the best from God, then we have to give our best to God. A lot of us want the best from God, but we keep God at the periphery of our lives, and then when he doesn't pull through for us, we get upset. And say, God, why aren't you doing these things for me? It's because we haven't allowed God to be at the center where he can do the things that he is seeking to do in our lives. And so the question I often ask is, so uh, are you engaged in spiritual disciplines? Uh, spiritual disciplines, basically <clears throat> what they are, are things that we do. Praying, reading the word, fellowship, uh, worship, evangelism, accountability, things like that where God has this massive storehouse of grace and blessing. He wants to pour into our lives and this river of, of blessing that's flowing. And the disciplines are what get us in the path of those grace that God wants, that grace that God wants to give. And so without the great, without reading the word of God, we're not going to receive the blessing of God without coming to worship service, without engaging in fellowship through house church, whatever it means, we're not going to receive the blessing of God. And so it's a very simple question. You want to grow? That's great. But are you spending time allowing God to do that work of nurturing and pruning in your life in order that you might grow? And if they say no, then I say, why don't you do this? Why don't you take a few minutes a day, be in the word of God and be in prayer, do that consistently for six months, and then we'll talk and see if you're not growing. About 85% of the people, it's that simple. Then there's another 10 to 15%, and this is not, uh, I haven't done statistical analysis, just purely anecdotal, but... There are other people who say, you know what, I am, I am doing those things. I'm going out, I'm, I'm actually feeding the homeless. I'm giving not only my tithe, but I'm giving like 20% of my, of my income to God. I'm coming to church not just once, but, but three times a week, and, and I still don't feel like I'm growing. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like, yeah, I'm engaging in the things, I'm doing what I think I ought to be doing, but for some reason, I don't feel like I'm growing. And over the next uh, couple weeks, three weeks, as we continue in the hard teachings of Jesus, as we move to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to talk about that. What is, it, what is it 
What's the deal with that? When we're seeking to do the things, the spiritual practices and disciplines and the acts of righteousness that God calls us to do, but it doesn't seem like there's a reward in it. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to see what Jesus would say to a, to a person like that. Uh, Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18, he talks about three different spiritual habits, spiritual disciplines, giving, praying, and fasting. We're going to kind of unpack them all at one, uh, uh, all uh, once over the next uh, one at a time over the next three weeks. Today we're going to talk about giving, but I think we can uh, kind of pull out uh, a little bit and look from a broader perspective and see this as uh, a test of why we do the things that we do for God, uh, whether it be giving or anything else. Okay, Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. This is Jesus talking to his disciples who have been influenced by the thoughts of the religious teachers, the Pharisees, and he's speaking to them as unbelievers are overhearing. He says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. Tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is God's word. So what are we seeing here? Uh, for the first part of Matthew 5, actually for the, the, the last eight weeks, what we've been looking at, Jesus has been taking the teaching of the Pharisees and he's been busting it open to get to the heart of the Old Testament command. And to say, you know what, the Pharisees' teaching is okay, it, under, it makes sense in the, uh, in the culture of the world, but the kingdom of God is a countercultural kingdom. And so let's get to the heart of it. What Jesus was doing, he was pulling apart the Pharisaical teachings in order to show the heart that he wants us to have behind the teaching. What we're going to see in the next three weeks is not the teaching of the Pharisees, but it's the practice of the Pharisees what they were doing and what they were telling other people to do. And we're going to see that Jesus once again says it's not about the art at all. It's about the heart. So what is the heart of giving? Three things to those of you who feel like I'm doing the right thing. I'm giving to the needy or I'm doing what I ought to be doing, but there seems to be no reward. What would Jesus say to such a person? Three things from this text, at least. The first thing is here. The first thing is we need to check our motives. When you give, now you hear all these things that say when you give, the Lord will honor your giving. He will honor you. It's not saying he's going to make you rich, but he says he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but he who sows generously will reap generously. Maybe you don't feel like that's happening. The first thing Jesus says is we got to check our motives. We used to, uh, <clears throat> for about three or four years, we used to take a group over spring break out to Tampa, uh, to inner city Tampa, and we used to do some outreach there. Um, the places we would go were government projects. We had a contact down there, a missionary down there named Dave Craver, and he had connections with all these places. We would go to places like Tampa Park, Central Park, Robles Park, and um, you know, we, we just followed we just followed our, our guy saying, "Hey, this is where, you can, where we're going to go." Um, later, I looked on Wiki Places. It's a website, and I uh, searched Robles Park, and it's kind of like Wikipedia, where people just put in their own definitions. So again, it's not like a uh, you know, it's not like an encyclopedia. Well, you don't want to. It's not like a reference book that tells you all these things. It's just user submitted. And so what Robles Park, the definition of Robles Park said, a shady place near Tampa where people get shot. 
So when we would be walking around the neighborhoods and they're like, what is a bunch of 38 Asian people doing in the hood? Say, what are you doing? We say, we're with a church in Orlando and we just come to, to shine the light of Jesus. And they say, where are you going? We'd say, we're going to Tampa Park or Robles Park. And they look at us and they're like, wow, you brave. <laughs> so we had no idea, but we would go. And, and so one of the things that we did was we went to this one home of this lady in the projects and she wanted to uh, beautify her home on the inside. Paint was like falling off and chipping and stuff. And they asked us to come and paint it. So we said, all right, in order to live in the projects there, there was two things required. One, if you're a woman, you had to be single. You couldn't be married. And two, your income had to be less than, uh, you know, a certain amount of, of dollars a week, number of dollars a week, which is very, 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 very low. And so we said, okay, we're going to do that. And so we packed into this house and thinking this is the project. You got to have income of what, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks, whatever it was. Um, less than that. And so we expected it to be a rat infested hole. We get in there besides the paint that was falling off. The place looked like MTV cribs. They had flat screen TVs before we all had flat screen TVs and they were huge, massive. They had their Blu-ray disc players before any of us had them. They had their PS3, and we're going into the house. We're like, man, this place is kind of balling, and it's in the projects. It's kind of, I, I felt like it's the kind of people, you know, they have this, like, ghetto shell of a car, but inside it's all tricked out and really nice, and it looks ghetto on the outside so nobody would steal from it. That's kind of what that, what that project, house in the projects was like. And after we had painted the house and did all this stuff, we left, and we were kind of debriefing, and people were shocked. And our guy, Dave, told us, you know, this is the problem with the projects. And they've since been torn down. He said, this is the problem with the projects. To be a single mother and have an income that low, here's what it does. You've got this deadbeat guy who will not marry her so that they can get the benefits of the housing. And he just shacks up in that place. And he hangs out on the couch and plays PS3 all day. And she won't get a job because she can't have income over a certain level. And so they just sit there like... uh, like lazy people, and they get a government welfare check as they live in the projects. I said, here's the problem. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm not an expert in this. I'm just, this is just what I've heard and what I've experienced. I said, the problem with government taking care of the poor is that it doesn't actually eradicate poverty. It doesn't actually kill poverty. It kills the poor because it enables them to live a certain kind of lifestyle without taking responsibility for themselves. If you read the Bible, the Bible never says that welfare and caring for the poor was a responsibility of the government. Whose responsibility is that? Because that's the responsibility of the people of God. That's your responsibility. He says, there should be no poor among you. That's what he says. And that's why God's heart is always for the foreigners, right? The orphans and the widows. Right, the foreigners who come, the refugees, there were towns of refuge uh, to take care of the refugees. He said, whenever you, you, uh, you gather the crops from your land, leave the perimeter untouched. Okay, you harvest everything else, leave that so that the foreigners in your midst can take these and they can be fed for themselves. Because God's concern for the poor was that it would be the people of God who cared for them, not some government project. And so when God said, give to the needy, the people of God took that seriously. They said, yeah, this is, in fact, Jewish people considered giving to the poor one of the highest forms of religious faithfulness to God. And so 
Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men. That's kind of the overarching, verse one's the overarching theme over the next uh, three, uh, three weeks. But he says, when you give to the needy, when you give to the needy, right? it's the assumption that he makes. Jesus doesn't say, uh, so if you give to the needy or don't give to the needy, right? he says, give, you should do that. And the expectation is that we will be giving. And so every good Jew would give their 10% to God. That's easy. Just 10%. On top of that would be their voluntary offerings, what we call our tithes and our offerings. And then on top of that, they would give some to those who are needy in their midst. That's just three things that they did right off the bat. Whenever they got their stuff, they would just do that. Bam, bam, bam. And they knew. That's it. That's simple. So Jesus isn't saying, don't do that. What is he saying? Nor does he say, uh, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, hypocrisy. He, he, he doesn't say, not only does he not say, don't give, he doesn't also He also does not say, don't give when people are watching. Because sometimes it's going to be impossible for us to not give while people are there. What is he saying? He says, make sure that you don't go, right? And give, it says in verse 2, to be honored by men. What is what Jesus is doing? Basically, he's getting at the motives. You can give. You ought to give, and you can give even if people are around, but don't give in order to be honored by people. In other words, what's your motivation? What is your motivation for why you give to God or why you give to the needy? What's your motivation for doing anything? Is it to be honored by people? Why do you say, yeah, you know what? I'll, there's an opportunity. A pastor asked me, yeah, I'll do it. Why do you do that? Why do you do that? Why do you serve in the ways that you serve? Why do you serve church, serve God the way that you do? Is it to be honored by men? Jesus says, listen, if you do, you've already received your reward. That's why maybe you feel like you're doing all these spiritual disciplines, but you ain't growing. Why you've given, but you're not receiving a reward. Why? Why do you do the things you do? He said, you know, it's a question of motives that he gets at the heart. And the Greeks understood this. Uh, I think it was uh, Socrates or, yeah, Socrates. He has this famous line. He says, an unexamined life is not worth living. Great philosopher of the ancient days. Socrates said that. We need to examine the way that we live in order that we understand the heart behind why we do what we do. Examine your life. The great 21st century philosopher Ice Cube said a similar thing. He said, you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. He's saying, check your motives. Right? Check your motives because it's easy for us to go a long time doing the right thing for the wrong reason. Right? Jesus is saying, you got to do the right thing. It's giving is the right thing, but why you do what you do can take a good thing and make it into a bad thing. Then check yourself. We do this oftentimes in life, don't we? I, I, this week, um, I had for, for three days uh, some, some uh, guys in town, some pastors from our denomination, and <clears throat> we had some meetings and some planning that we had to do, and as part of my uh, hosting, uh, I was driving them around, and so one of our uh, one of our uh, elders has a has a Korean uh, has a tour bus company uh, called K Tours, and so he gave me a minivan to drive around, and it was very cool um, driving like in style with my K Tours minivan Honda Odyssey from 2007. But the tricky thing about driving that thing, that not that anyone really tricky, but kind of frustrating to me, is that whenever I would go a mile over the speed limit, the car would beep, and then it would say. You are over the speed limit. 
I'm like, are you kidding me? Is this going to do this? Every time I go over the speed limit, I'm one mile over, 10 miles over, beep, you're over the speed limit. The guys in the back are like, dude, how fast are you going? I'm like, I'm barely going like five miles, well, 10 miles, 15 miles over the speed limit. But she didn't have to tell me the whole, I felt like it was the Holy Spirit kept on telling me. Like, this is what the Spirit of God does, right? Convicts us. The car is saying, listen, you got to check yourself. Because there might be a cop around the corner. Or there might be something that you don't see. And just for the sake of safety. The purpose of that beeping was to remind me, hey, look at how fast you're going. Right, calm down so that nothing worse happens. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, listen, check your heart. <clears throat> check your heart, you who have been faithful at doing the things that you ought to be doing. Right, check your motivation. Why do you do the things that you do? Why do you give? Why do you? Because it's very possible that in our giving, we're not really giving. We're giving in order to get. We're giving in order to get applause, to get cheers, to get a attaboy, keep on going. Why do you do the things that you do? Can I be honest with you? Um, there's a lot of times I don't do things with the right motive. A lot of times when I've done things or I'll sit on the airplane and I'm going to preach somewhere and I'll try and start up a spiritual conversation with the person next to me so that when I get to the place I need to go, I can say, like all cool preachers do, I'm sitting on the airplane. There's this guy next to me. I decided to share the gospel with him. I do that sometimes. And there are times where I've walked downtown and there's a guy who didn't have anything and I pulled out a gift card from my, from my wallet, some restaurant, like two bucks on it, five bucks on it, I gave it to him. So I could come back on a Sunday and say, you know what, one day I was hanging out downtown and there's this dude who needed something and I gave it to him. There, there's times where I do that, not because I just want to give to him, but because I want to tell people that I gave to him. That's bad. Jesus is saying, that's not right. I know that's not right when I'm doing it. But I'm like, at least I'm taking care of this guy. But as I was studying this text, and it was actually, as I was studying this text, this text was studying me. And it was probing me. And as I was getting into the word, the word was getting into me. And I needed to repent. And I said, man, my heart is so divided. It's so hypocritical a lot of times. Are you anything like me? You are, Jesus says, hey, we got to check our motives. It's important because the second thing that we see here is that our motives are going to determine our reward. The reason why you do certain things is the catalyst for the kind of reward you're going to get. There's, you know, I forgot who I was talking with. We're talking to some people about credit cards and the kind of rewards that you can get. And, you know, these days you're going to put something, you're going to charge something, you're going to use a credit card, you might as well get something out of it, right? That's the way these cards are set up. And, and there are websites that tell you what are the best uh, credit cards to get. And, and usually the ones that are really popular are the ones that offer versatility and flexibility in terms of the kind of rewards you can get, either cash back or airline miles or hotel stays or gift cards or whatever it is. So. Imagine that we've got one of these cards. I've got one of these cards, and I've got 25,000 points that I'm ready to, to cash in and redeem. And so I call the 
customer service up. And I said, I'd like to redeem my 25,000 points. They say, what would you like to redeem them for? What reward would you like? And I said, well, I'm not really sure. Can you tell me my options? And they'll say, sure, you can have 25,000 points can be transferred into 25,000 miles on your favorite airline. Or we can give you $250 cash. We can give you $250 in gift card. Or we can give you, oh, say, three or four nights stay at a hotel of your choosing somewhere. I say, okay, can I think about it for a second? Let me think about it for a second. I say, I would like, uh, I would like to have the 25,000 miles and the $250 cash back, please. And she would probably put the phone on mute and she would laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh and come back and say, I'm sorry, Mr. Kim. Uh, you only are allowed to have one reward. I said, but please, can, I, can, you, can you just give me two? 25,000 miles. And it doesn't have to be the cash. I'll take the gift card. Please. I said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You only get one reward. And you get to choose which one you want. But there's only one. And that's what Jesus is saying here. When you give, you're going to get a reward, usually. But it's up to you to choose from where your reward will come from. But what are my options, Jesus? He says, well, let me walk them through. Walk you through them. Verse 2, when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues on the street to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. The first place that many of us seek to get our reward, I'll choose the reward of man. And he holds up this example of a guy who thinks he's a good giver. But in order to give, he wants to make it a spectacle. And so he orders a trumpeter. Why? This person just gave a bunch of money. We don't do this today. Anyone do this recently? Hey, I want to hire a trumpeter. I don't know any trumpeters for hire. But we do toot our own horn sometimes, don't we? We may not hire a trumpeter to say, look at the building pledge offering I'm giving. But we may... Be the kind of people that say, hey, 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 uh, I'm going to go talk to this person at the shelter. Hey, take a picture of me and I'm going to put it on Instagram to show this is what I do in my free time. If you do that to be honored by them, hey, you've got your reward already. Or maybe we don't do that, but maybe we uh, like to have, hey, someone come with me in order that we can go feed the homeless together. You know that they're not going to be able to go. You're not, you know they're not able, but at least they can know that you're going so that they can tell other people, oh, he's really busy, she's really busy. In their spare time, they like to do things to take care of people who are in need. Says, if you do, and he's not saying, listen, just go to, um, go to care for people where nobody's watching. He's not saying that. He's saying, again, it's your motivation. If you do it in order to be honored by people, there's no reward from God left. No reward from God left. So, okay, I don't, I don't really do that to be honored by people because I, I'm really shy and I don't like the attention. Jesus says here's a second kind of reward that a lot of us choose. He says, <clears throat> when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. What does he say? He says, be so humble about your giving that one hand doesn't even know what the other hand is doing. You know why? Here's what happens. Because when one hand gives, you know what the, the, the tendency for a lot of us to do with the other hand is? It's to pat ourselves on the back. Oh, I'm a really good guy. I feel good about myself because I took that $200 that I got from the IRS and I gave all of it to my friend who didn't have it. I'm a 
really good guy. And so we give. Not to be applauded by people, but to feel good about ourselves. To make ourselves feel better. Maybe you had a bad week. Maybe you haven't been doing well spiritually over the past six months, but you gave this $1,000 check to church, and all of a sudden you feel like you can be in the good grace of God and you don't feel so bad anymore. Man, go me. I'm a great person. Well done. Good and faithful self. (laughs) You do that sometimes? You give in order that you might applaud yourself and to feel better about it. When he says that, Jesus says you've received your reward in full. He doesn't say you've received most of it, you've received 90% of it. He says there will be no reward left for you. You've received it in full. Don't be like the hypocrite. You know what a hypocrite is? In in Greek theater, this is the word hupokrites. It means an actor. Someone who would put on a mask and they would act like they are someone that they're not in order to gain the applause of people so that they might feel better about themselves. And Jesus is saying, this is what hypocrites do. And he's saying, this is what some of us do. We want so much to be applauded by other people that we do these things simply for the sake of the applause of man or self or woman. But there's a better way. Because when you do, verse 4, let your giving be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. There's only three rewards, and you choose which one you want. A reward from people, a reward from yourself, or a reward from God. Which would you rather have? And do you trust that even if nobody sees you, that God sees that and he's able to reward you. You trust that? You believe that? My first year in college, I had a Bible study leader, great man of God, just walks with God, simple obedience. The word of God says it, I'm going to do it. He would always take me out to eat, and he would say, whatever you want on the menu, you go ahead and you, buy, you, you choose it, food, drink, whatever you want. I would order, and then he would always order something like a burger or a sandwich, and he'd get a cup of water. Every time he would do that. I knew he wasn't a rich person, but I realized a couple of things that he did. He always bought, brought a coupon, and he would let me get the expensive one so that his could be free. And even if he didn't have a coupon, his motto, his philosophy was be generous with others. I'm sorry, be frugal with myself so I can be generous with others. That's how he lived. He wasn't a rich guy. In fact, in the year 1995, he was driving like a 19... 19- 70 uh, old red hatchback car it was like barely sputter stick shift always breaking down he didn't have a lot in fact people always wondered how could he be in school how does he have money to pay for his tuition he by the grace of god made into grad school and just i mean his life was a life filled with miracles just literal miracles of god because he walked in obedience he just didn't care what anyone thought just live life and doors open up crazy things happen it was his, uh, I think, going into his last year in graduate school at the, at the Commerce School in, in, in Virginia. And uh, he didn't know how he was going to pay for his tuition. I think it was like over summer school. He was taking a class or something like that. He was studying late one night at the comm school, and everyone else had gone home. And as he was walking, taking a break, uh, it was like probably 1 or 2 in the morning. There was some trash on the floor in the, in the business school. And so he picked it up, and he threw it away. And he was walking out. 
um, this man said, hey, hey, hey. It was the dean of the commerce school. And Simon had no idea that anybody was there. That I saw what you did. Thanks, we need more students like that. And Simon said, you know, this is where I'm getting my education. My, I just want to treat my school as if it was my home. It's just the right thing to do. He said, thanks, and he, he, he walked out. Soon after that, there was a, a, another lady from the Commerce School who had gone to Hershey, Pennsylvania, Hershey Park, and she had gotten some Hershey bars and was carrying these boxes in, and she was struggling. And so Simon saw her, and all these other people saw her around her, but they didn't do anything. So he ran to her. He, helped, he, he, he carried uh, the Hershey bars, and then he opened the door, and she said, thank you so much. Uh, she was in her high heels and, and skirt and stuff, and, and she said, what's your name? He said, my name is uh, Simon, Simon Han, and he said, thank you, and went on, and there was another incident that happened with a third professor. It turns out that these three professors, or three faculty members, were the three people on the board of the Commerce School Scholarship Committee, who every year give away one scholarship to a student who shows exemplary character and achievement, all this stuff. And so as they sat down to talk about it, one of them said, this is a long shot. You see, 100 people he had was top, bottom 10% in his GPA. Everybody's like nerdy, all these like big six. At the time, it was big six accounting firms, and they're all going those places. He was just, you know, just Simon, bottom 10%. They said, this is a long shot, but um, there's one student that I wanted to honor and recognize. Uh, one night, and he told the story. And uh, the lady said, well, what was his name? The name Simon. I have a story about Simon also. There's a time when yada, yada. Third professor said, it's going to be funny, but I've got a story about him also. He had like a 2.56 GPA, but he was the recipient of the Com School Graduate School of Commerce scholarship for that year. And all of his tuition was paid for. Do you believe that God can reward what you do? If your desire is to do it for the glory of God and not for the sake of people? You will choose your reward, people of God. You will choose your reward. Who's it going to be from people, from yourself, from God? And do you believe that God sees what you do when nobody else sees and that he has a way of honoring you and shoveling into your life far greater than anything you could shovel out to him? Our motives will determine our reward. Last thing, our motives are determined, are shaped by how we view God. Last thing, our motives are shaped by how we view God. Over the next 18 verses, okay, we're going to look at over the next three weeks, over the next 18 verses, there's one word that is repeated 10 times. Okay, 10 times one word is repeated. When you study the Bible, one of the principles of biblical interpretation, if there's a word that is repeated, you have to understand that that word is important. Why is it repeated? You have to ask yourself. And the word that's repeated 10 times in these 18 verses is the word father. What is Jesus saying? And the reason why the Pharisees and the reason why many of us do the things that we do in order to be honored by people is because we do not know what it is to have God as our Father. At the very heart of it, it says you functionally do not trust that God is a good, good Father who can care for you in a way that the applause of people cannot do. You believe that you have a father who sees and who knows and who loves and who cares. That's what Jesus is saying. The Pharisees don't have that. Two things happen when we don't know God as father. One, we will 
feel like we need to earn the blessing of God. Do you remember what the Pharisee said in Luke 15? Parable of two sons, both of them lost because they didn't have a relationship with the father. One was lost and didn't have a relationship because he was out there in the pigsty. The other was lost because he didn't have a relationship with his father, even though he was in the house of the father. And that older brother represents the Pharisees. And you remember what he says when the younger son comes back, when his little brother comes back and there's a party thrown by the father. The older son says, you never did this for me. All these years I've been what? I've been slaving for you. The Pharisees looked at God and they saw a slave master. And in relation to God, they felt like they were slaves. Can I ask you a question? Do you feel like that when you serve God? Do you feel like that when you're serving your Bible study students? And they don't respect you. Do you feel like that when you're cleaning the church and there's people who are not helping you? Do you feel like, gosh, I feel like a stinking slave. I feel like a slave. You feel that way? If we don't recognize God as our father, then we will feel like a slave that needs to work to earn the affections of our father. The second thing that we'll do is because we're insecure in the approval of our father, we will seek the approval of other people what the Pharisees did. You feel like that? Are you constantly seeking the approval of other people? If they don't like the way I dress, I'm going to change my wardrobe. If they don't approve of the way I got my hair cut, I'm going to shave my head. If they don't like the things that I say or do, I'm going to, I'm going to compromise whatever I am in order to be accepted by them. Are you driven by the approval of people? If you are, then it could be, very well could be, that you don't understand that God is your Father who loves you and He cares for you and He gave His Son in order that you might be His. See, Jesus wasn't like that. When Jesus began His earthly ministry, you know what He, you know what he heard? He heard a voice come from heaven and He said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus knew God as Father, so he didn't live for the approval of other people. He didn't care what they thought about him. He just did his own thing. As long as a father is happy, is pleased with me, I'm going to live life, and, I, and haters going to hate, <laughs> but I'm going to live my life in order to honor God. Do you know, like deep in your heart, that you have a father who loves you and is pleased with you before you've done anything because he sees the perfection of Jesus in you? Or do you feel like you need to strive for the approval of others? The more likes on your Instagram post, the better you feel tomorrow when you go to work or school. You feel like that? Driven by the approval of others because you don't know what it is to be approved of by your father. I, I have a friend, and he would tell, he used to say, he would, used to wake up every morning, and this is what he used to say, John, you are my son whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. And he would get that into his mind so that when he entered into the day, he wouldn't be driven by the whimsical affections or the whimsical curses of people who don't like or do like what he says or does. After he said that, he's a pastor in Virginia. I said, you know, I want to I do that also. 
And the more I get that into me, the less the opinions of other people matter. You know, there's a time, many a time, where I would either, it, it, maybe it be Sunday, or maybe I'm, I'm, I'm speaking somewhere, and there's other people that um, I, I'm preaching after them, and I hear them, I'm like, man, those guys knocked it out of the park. They are amazing. And I feel all this pressure, like, I need to, I need to do it. I need to perform. I used to go home on Sundays and, and ask Olive, how, did, how, how was the sermon? How did it go? And, and if she said it went well, that was a good one, then I'd be very happy about myself. And if it didn't go well, then I'd be very depressed. I'd be more depressed because my football team, the Redskins, would lose, and it would just be a bad day. But after a while, I realized, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. I've come to a place where, listen, I don't care. I don't care what... I'm going to do my best to be faithful to the text and to preach it. That's it. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to walk out. And God's going to, he's going to water the seeds. I don't care what you think about me. Shoot. You tell me it's stuck. Tell me I messed up. I don't care. As long as I know that, that I am his son whom he loves, with me, he is already well pleased. And it doesn't matter what people think about me. Their approval, your approval doesn't mean anything to me. Of course, I want to feed you and I want to care for you. That's the loving thing to do. But I'm not, uh, your approval will be my servant to help me to be better. But your approval is not going to be my master that dictates the way that I live. That's how we've got to live. To to have the sense of freedom. I'm going to do my best because I'm loved by God. Can you live in that place knowing that you are approved by God, favored, loved by him? When you do, when that identity is so deeply rooted, then the things that people throw at you won't stick to you. They'll fall off. How is this possible? In John chapter 1, verse 12, there's a verse that says simply, yet to all who received him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Can you believe that? You don't have to earn it. You're not like little orphan Annie who gets adopted by Daddy Warbucks as a promotional stunt. And as soon as you get into the mansion, you've got to start with the windows and and make all this stuff right. They say, relax, child. You've already been adopted. That to all who believe, to receive, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, that's all it takes. You don't work for it. You don't earn it. All you do is believe in his name because the true son of God already earned it for you. He lived that life that you and I failed to live. And then on the cross, he died the death that you and I deserve to die. There's nothing else. He said, it is finished. It's done. It is paid in full. The reward is there. For the taking, all you have to do is to receive and to believe, and that's yours. And so John, the apostle, the only apostle who was at the cross when he saw that, would later go on to write in 1 John 3, 1, he would say to his people, look, behold, jump up and take notice. Behold, what kind of love is this that we should be called children of God? And that is what we are. You have a father. He sees everything that you do. Jesus, you see, was kicked out of the house and the doors to him were locked in order that for you and me, the door would never be locked. The home would always be open and the embrace of the Father always awaits. 
Jesus rejected as his son in order that we might be embraced as daughters and sons of the living God. That's our inheritance. He's done it already. All we have to do is believe it and to live in its truth. Let's pray together. As we reflect upon God's word this morning, what is your motivation for why you do what you do? Maybe you've come here today, and here's the reality. God can use your wrong motives and do good things out of it. He will make straight lines out of crooked sticks. God works that way because he's good and he's gracious, and he loves you more than for us to be bound simply by our obedience. God can use your wrong motives to do great things. But even more so, he can use our right motives to do eternal things. And God wants to do that in and through you. But can we search our hearts? Why are we here today? And why, as we're about to give our offerings, why do we give? As we serve God, why do we serve? What is our motivation for everything that we do? Is it simply to respond in grateful obedience to the beauty of the one who called us to it? Trusting that he will reward us for all that we do, seen and unseen by this world. Are you driven by a motivation that seeks applause from ourselves or from other people around us? If we're not seeking to do things to honor the Lord, now would be a really good time to confess that to God. Father, I'm sorry for taking something good and turning it into something not so good. Lord, have mercy on me. You died for me, Jesus, so that I could be forgiven. And I'm receiving and resting upon that now. Not only a prayer of repentance, it's not just dealing with our sin, but it's moving forward in faith and saying, God, I want to live differently. From now on, help me to live, not for the approval of the eyes of man or woman or myself, but for the approval of God, for the eyes of God. I've already got your approval. So help me now because you're watching me just to bring a smile to your face. Help me, Lord, to give, to go, to serve, to do whatever I do to make you happy because you delight over your children when they do something that makes you happy just like us as parents our kids do anything not to buy something from us not to gain something but it's just because they love us makes us happy same with our father in heaven let's pray for a couple moments right now before we come to the table of grace and respond in songs of praise and worship let's ask the Lord God change my heart make it true before you I might honor you in how I give and what I do. Let's pray for a couple moments and then we'll
Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you would love us. Father, I am humbled and repentant over the many times. It's not just times, but it's the way of life that I live with at best motives that are mixed. Certainly a desire to honor you, but certainly other desires mixed in there as well. I come to you and I confess that, asking your pardon and for your grace to fill me so that I might be changed. And that same prayer for all of us in here. We come before you and nothing here is hidden. Our actions are secret motivations as you lay them bare we don't run from them but we move towards them because in moving towards them we find grace and healing and forgiveness so that we can do things out of a heart that honors you and out of a heart that loves you so Father help us remind us of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who though he was rich became poor for our sakes in order that we who are poor might become rich in you Help us, O God, not only to have received much, but to be generous and sacrificial so that others might receive of the free bounty that we have been given. Thank you, Lord. We love you because you've loved us first. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.